Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is African Liberation Media. We're here with the brother. The irritated genie, brother Amos, and brother Macaru. Uh, what you're going to get from me is an additional indictment of the system. You know, clearly, this system is not designed for us. Uh, studying this brother Alfred McCoy, or this person of European extraction today, you know, and he writes, one million prisoners work for corporations. You, Take this into consideration the next time you ingest your all-beef patties. It's a system where, contrary to popular belief, lobbyists write laws that ensure high rates of recidivism. 94% of prisoners never go to trial. And the longest sentences typically go to people who go to trial. We got a situation throughout the United Snakes, where 3.3 people are shot and killed every day. You know, with that, a twin with that, we have the increased militarization of the police on the Section 1033, I believe it is. Suffice it to say, black leadership has been feckless and very weak. You're talking about a suspension of the right of habeas corpus. Uh, and whether you're in greater confinement, whether you're pregnant or selling looses on the street, Africans are being murdered. We got a situation coming up from an economic standpoint where we will be confronted with rising prices and stagnant wages. You know, what's the plan for African-American people? You know, we put forth the idea here on African liberation of the necessity, the need for sovereignty. But then we have to raise the question, where, how? It's not a place on the planet where we're not being interfered with. And then my last point, and this is for the youth, and that is to resist radical evil is the highest form of human life. And in saying that we invert the values of the market system, it's not about necessarily the pursuit of happiness. It is about the pursuit of freedom. But a brother told me, brother here on the set, Macaroo, he said, unfortunately, we have become too comfortable, even in our oppression. Opening statements, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. slave named Russell A. Swilly. Brother, introduce your guest. Thanks, Gullah Jack. Bibi Fahodie, African family. Tonight we have with us a brother who needs no introduction, who's often been called the most hated black man in America. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's right. The brother Irritated Genie. And if you don't know who the Irritated Genie is, then I don't know where you've been the past couple of decades. His brother's been doing serious work uh, for our people in an area that many of us are afraid to delve into or deal with. So tonight, this brother is going to share his insight on where we are currently in this war that we're facing against 
homosexuality, pedophilia, sexual abuse, genocide amongst African people. How you doing tonight, Brother Jeannie? Fantastic, and I'm honored to be on this fantastic program. We appreciate you for taking the time to join us, brother, and we know that you recently traveled to the African continent, specifically in dealing with the topics that I just talked about, um, things that are happening in East Africa and all over the African continent. So we really want you to you know, give us your insight on, or give us an update rather on, what's going on on the continent right now, what wars are we facing on the continent, and um, what are some of the things that you saw firsthand in your recent travels? Okay, and it's so interesting you said that. Uh, what we're facing now is, I think, for black people in America who have been studying and are aware of what's going on, uh, who has paid attention to what the brother was saying before about the issues confronting black people in America and the circumstances surrounding our survival here. <clears throat> right now, I would say the last 40 years of the destruction of the black family, the mass incarceration of black men, the overhaul of black self-respect and male-female relationships, the sense of manhood and a sense of womanhood and decency, the basic fabric of, of black construction America has been an absolute war against us here. And on the African continent is that every strategy that we've outlined and identified and we talk about and we try to resist, that it took them 40 years to master to put us in the condition we're in here. They're now exporting those like cheap goods <laughs> to the African continent. And our brothers and sisters are facing the same thing. But what's happening is it's not going to take 40 years for it to happen here. It only takes about four to five years because they've mastered the art of what works to destroy the African by using us 50 million uh, guinea pigs of black Africans in here in America. So, for instance, I went to uh, going on the East African tour because they pushed homophilia through South Africa in the 1990s. We now realize that Nelson Mandela was used for that purpose. He was a straw man, much like he was really the prototype for Barack Hussein Obama. Hmm. If you take Lucius Septimius Severus of the Roman Empire, the mulatto general who was put in there for the purpose of destabilizing and going to war in North Africa, and you take Nelson Mandela the individual who was the black face for white oppression and dominion in South Africa. If you take those two emerging, you get a Barack Obama. Like both of those were the prototype for Barack Obama here. They push the destruction of black family, rampant pedophilia and homosexuality through South Africa, through Nelson Mandela. <clears throat> and uh, His Excellency Baba Robert Mugabe in the 1990s put a block on it, didn't even really know that this was an effort to penetrate the African continent with a sexual colonialism for the 21st century. They didn't really understand what they were doing, but they did it successfully and effectively in Zimbabwe and with the next step and took their land back as well. So they blocked the penetration of full acceptance of this behavior uh, up into Central Africa by blocking it in Zimbabwe. It's a very firm stance. It's 
Namibia and other African countries agreed with Baba Mugabe at that time. And so they were able to subdue it in that region. Now what they're doing is a full-fledged, all-out onslaught to promote homophilia throughout the African continent. And the country they picked was Kenya. They, they believe that if they can penetrate through the acceptance of homophilia, pedophilia, homosexuality through Kenya, East Africa, that that's going to spread and blossom into Uganda and then into Sudan and to, to the whole Central and uh, East Africa and pretty much wipe out the, the resistance against homophilia on the African continent. So we recognize that. We actually saw them doing videos talking about it. So I raised money on Facebook and went to Uganda, Kenya, and Zimbabwe, with the focus being on Kenya. When I got to Kenya, what I saw is this. There are strong elements of people on the ground who want to resist and came out to hear the lecture to see what was happening. This is how impactful it was. I spoke at the University of Nairobi at the Kenyan Theater, which is right there on the campus of the University of Nairobi. Uh, thank you to Dr. Moonby for facilitating that. She's a sister who does a lot of uh, information in uh, about the African continent, very, very strong sister. The people there did not know what the gay flag represented and what that flag, they didn't know it was a symbol representing homophilia, transgenderism, all this madness. So when I did the lecture, when I was in Uganda, they told me, the people don't know what a flag is. You got to explain that to them. So whenever I spoke in Uganda, Zimbabwe, or when I was in Kenya, I made sure that I put the flag in there saying, this is what it represents. This is what they're trying to do to you. This is what they did to us. They're exporting it here. This is how relevant it is. This, I think this uh, can, can kind of really sum up my experience. That was on a Friday that I got there and spoke. Thursday. That was a Thursday. I did the lecture Thursday. On Saturday morning, in the paper, the people in Kenya were outraged because a block away from where I was standing on the steps on both sides of the street going to the University of Nairobi, the LGBT had painted the LGBT flag on the steps. And the people had no idea what it was. So let me understand what you're saying. So... The, the the steps were painted before you got there, but it Two wasn't before I got there. But it wasn't until you educated them on what it represented that they became conscious of it being an LGBT flag. Right. It was the, the steps had been painted two months prior and nobody had an idea. They just thought of some colorful steps. Wow. So well, and, and, and since I left what we've had, because they were supposed to be announcing the decriminalization of homosexuality by the courts in March. We got there, they pushed it off until May. Thank goodness. And now they're supposed to make, be trying to make that happen now. But there's resistance. The money that's coming in from the West to try to make that happen is, is they're spreading it wide. So they got churches now that are promoting homosexuality in Kenya. They got spokespeople that are coming out. They're paying them money. The West is putting millions of dollars into this. It, it really, in fact, if you take it beyond Kenya and on the African continent, I don't think that there's anything that they're spending more money and resources than promoting the spread of homophilia on the African continent. Because once mm. they do that, 
the access to the resources is easy. Homophiles are not going to fight for the resources of the African continent. They're not going to take a, a moral position or stance on protecting the African continent. They don't even protect their own backside. So they understand what they're doing. It's calculated. And the good thing is that we're having resistance. So, for instance, that happened in Kenya. When I left Uganda, our Shrink Black Pride representative in Uganda today sent a video. I mean, this happened today. He sent a video where there's a black woman walking down the street. She has on an LGBT skirt, has no idea it's an LGBT skirt. He said he had to argue with her for about half an hour, and the only way he was able to get her to understand what it meant, the WhatsApp group that we have where we're talking, we have like 10 different countries of Africans talking about this problem. He was able to go through and show her, look, this is what we're talking about. Look what they're doing. And she was like, oh, my God, I had no idea what I was doing. She was walking down the street in an LGBT skirt with the LGBT flag skirt and having no idea what it is. So they're penetrating our people through symbolism that our people don't understand what's happening. But mm. now that we've gone, we have people on the ground that are resisting. Wow. And, it, you know, it's it's interesting uh, because I know that we we put out a report a while back, and this may have been over a year or so ago, maybe a couple of years ago, and it was talking about the uh, the funds that were coming from the Trump administration allocated towards studying Kenya, um, male masculinity, um, where, the, you know, they were trying to determine why Kenyan males were so upright, strong, masculine males and uh, saying that it was going to lead to terrorism. <laughs> and I remember, you know, when we talked about it, I talked to you about it. Um, this is this is funds coming directly from the United States government. So what you're saying is is 100 percent, 100 percent accurate. It's not even it's not even something that you have to look at as a conspiracy. They're telling you that they're sending money to to East Africa. Uh, and like you stated, they maybe they feel that that's the stronghold to the rest of Central East Africa to, to get homosexuality criminalized. Yeah, they um, that was February 2018. Yeah, the article, it, it was reported, and then it came out where the federal government was openly saying that they were paying for $600,000 to study, like the brother said, why the Kenyan men were so masculine and high-achieving and wanted to be the heads of their households, and explicitly stated they're anti-homosexuality. We must make them be more accepting to homosexuality. That's stated in the contract for a grant for a company to study the problem, which is a problem of black men being men. And the federal government is saying our objective is to make them like homosexuality. And they consider, they literally classified strong, responsible black manhood as terrorism, like our brother said. So, uh, and if you go back to David Bahati, who's one of the members of the, uh, uh, of the government in Uganda back in like 2014 or something like that, they had a bill saying that if you had aggregated rape of a child, you're a grown man, rape a boy, you know that you have age, that you would get the death penalty. The U.S., spent $15 million, according to David Bahati, promoting homosexuality in Uganda, and then 
tried to classify Uganda as a terrorist nation for giving capital punishment for aggregated pedophilia. And they renamed it from what it was to the Kill the Gays bill to make it seem um, more aggressive against gays than actually focusing on pedophiles. And they were able to kill the bill. Um, so we're seeing uh, that's $15 million. It's just $600,000 contract. But if that's what we see publicly, there's no telling how much money is being spent. I would say hundreds, no, I would say billions of dollars are being spent throughout the African continent for the mm. purpose of cultural destabilization. No question about it. Jeannie uh, <clears throat> uh, Gullah Jack here met you years ago, brother. I'm just making an assertion. You can take it wherever you want to take it. Um, pleasure to have you with us. I reiterate that. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, a scene from Roots, the wrestler, the character's name, Jitu Kumbuka. They took the strongest and the weakest, from Kunta Kente as a child to the wrestler who conveyed, epitomized the ultimate in African masculinity, and then, of course, you are well aware of the Berlin Conference and the onslaught of European aggression throughout the continent. You know, at a time when uh, we hadn't even heard of the word feminism as it related to black males, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have no doubt that they wage a war on all fronts. But, uh, you know, to me, the critical issue has always been the white man has developed the most efficient killing machine the world has ever known. Brother Amos Wilson tells us that the, the final arbiter of power is force, and that lies in the hands of the European overwhelmingly. If we had strong, upright men, okay, would that be a guarantee against neo-colonial co-optation and what you're describing here, European invasion, which results in destabilization, taking the resources, you know, when they have done it from time immemorial. Um, I, the way I would answer that is this. What has happened, and it's... Uh, I, 21st century warfare has taken on a different structural, uh, a composite uh, structure. And what has happened is, unfortunately, we have not effectively and successfully adjusted to the warfare that we're facing. So what's happening is we're trying to fight a 2019 war with a 1919 mentality. In other words, the Panthers, when they started, Police brutality was absolutely unbearable in the area and region where they were. And so they started with something that was right on the pulse of the community. They didn't really have a lot to use as a barometer or an example of what to do. They looked at what they were facing. They acknowledged it. They understood it. They went into the law and understood what their legal rights were. And then they addressed the issue that they were facing right there. Garvey came at a time when our self-esteem was lower than you can imagine. With black people, if you call them black, you get killed. You get in a knife fight. Somebody will slice you. Call them black. And he realized that he had to deal with self-esteem 
and self-sufficiency and lift the spirits and vision of a race of people to move towards a racial unification. He saw the problem at the time he addressed it. What we're faced with is we're looking and trying to use a Panther model, a Garvey model, a Nation of Islam model, a Republic of New Africa model, a Dr. Yosef Yakinen model, you know, a consciousness model. We're trying to use models that don't work for the war that we're in. We have not successfully converted to what we're dealing with. The European has said, I have a more effective tool than, or a different tool than I've used in the past and a strategy for the destruction of a race of people. And the only way you can fight it is to understand it and to aggressively resist it. But we have tried to maintain the same paradigm that we were fighting in in these other battles and fight it, and you can't win that way. So I would say that's the issue. Like, if you don't want to address it and don't want to fight it for what it is and you don't take the time to understand it and understand what we have to do, you can bring, you can build all the strong physical men you want to build. They're still going to lose because they don't know what they're fighting. And they don't know how to stop all the other men and children and women from going in that direction because they don't understand what they're fighting. And that's what we're really facing. Well, Jane, talk about the, uh, you talked a little bit about the climate in South Africa. Um, I know you spent some yeah. time in South Africa. Um, you know, there's a recent uh, presidential election in South Africa. Uh, we know you have, uh, you know, Julius Malema in South Africa. And, you know, he had the land reformation or, or the land grab going on. But talk about, um, you know, this homosexual assault, homophilia that's going on in South Africa um, and deal with uh, man, President Cyril oh, Ramaphosa. Yes, yes. So. Interestingly enough, and I don't know if these things are coincidence or, mm. um, you know, if, if there's something behind them, but a week before I was going to South Africa, I, of course, we put out the flyer on Facebook. Hey, I'm going to be lecturing in South Africa, brothers and sisters, I'm on the way. And I had asked the people, what has Ramaphosa said about homophilia? And they said he said nothing publicly, but he's definitely in favor of it. Mm. A week before I put the flyer out that I'm on my way, a, a few days before I got there, he comes out publicly in a huge forum uh, honoring Desmond Tutu with all of these white folks in the crowd and says, you know, basically, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, that the homophiles in this country, LGBT, are going to have full rights, total respect. They're totally accepted. This country is totally open to it. Basically giving a definitive endorsement of the behavior. And it was like right before I got there. So I said, this is very interesting. When I'm doing a counter homophile tour, the president comes out and puts that narrative out. So when I got to South Africa, what I saw is this. If you go outside of the main city of Soweto and places like that to the different regions, if you go into the, the, suburb, uh, the, the, the rural regions, the people are still holding on to the culture. However, they're struggling because the power systems in the cities are more homophile friendly than we are in the United States of America. The acceptance of homophilia as part of the culture is more severe in South Africa than it is in America. Mm. You have more percentage of black people, in my opinion, in America who are against homosexuality and will say it publicly than you do in South Africa. 
to go further. I would say in America right now, if a girl is born, she has a seven out of 10 chance, if she's black, to be sexually molested before she's 18. I would say those numbers. Now, I can't guarantee that that number is accurate, but that's my estimate having done this for 20-some-odd years. I would say that a black boy has a 50% chance of being sexually abused before 18. I think it's still more for the girls, but it's very close. 70% for that, what I would say. Mm. In Durban, we did an interview in Venezuela. Uh, we interviewed sisters from Johannesburg and a sister, two sisters from Durban. The sisters in Durban, these were, they live in Durban. So you can very clearly see one of them was just breaking, almost breaking down some of the story. They said, from their estimation, uh, the sister in Johannesburg said 50% of the girls get molested. The ones in Durban said nine out of 10 girls get molested. And if they say anything and try to go to court, the father will say, this is my daughter. Um, this is my culture. You're not Zulu. So who are you to tell me what I can do? And they'll walk out of the court. So it's like, it's not like it is here. It's not the same kind of system of law. Basically what we're faced with is that the Europeans through Nelson Mandela, he was their, their, their tool to do it, have totally inundated South Africa as a culturally, sexually rogue state on the African continent. The only, <clears throat> co the only country in Africa where same-sex marriage is legal. It's, 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 it's a death sentence for a black girl in South Africa in terms of not wanting to be sexually abused. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And it's a little bit worse than it is in America, in my estimation. It makes sense because looking at uh, Malima in the EFF, I mean, right in their platform, they got, you know, the support for, for homosexuality written right into their, uh, to their bylaws. So it makes sense with them being in South Africa. Do you think that's from a lack of education uh, uh, of the war that we're in? Or do you think that that has something to do with members of that party maybe, you know, being homosexual or whatever? Yeah, I... I, I, I... I knew that that was in their charter, and I said, you know what? When I go to South Africa, I'm going to meet with the EFF to let them know, hey, you can't make this decision. But as I did more research, I started realizing, whoa, wait a minute. Like, for instance, good example of what I'm talking about. It's a little deeper than just a mistake that they don't understand. When we were just talking about when Uganda was saying that these pedophiles that are raping these boys, which would also be homosexuals with these homophiles, we're going to give them the death sentence. You can't be giving AIDS to little boys. When they put that law out, it was the EFF that sent a formal letter to His Excellency Museveni in Uganda, criticizing the Ugandan government, saying that they're being discriminatory and that this is horrible, that they're trying to stop homosexual pedophiles from raping little boys in Uganda. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about the EFF, and I'm going to tell you from what I can see. Now, again, remember, this is all analysis from the outside, but... This is what I see. The people of Zimbabwe beat the homophile war since the 90s and took their land back. If they knew that the war, the smokescreen was about them taking back the land, that wasn't the war. The war was they were trying to push homophilia through southern Africa. When they said no, the whites saw how much the other African nations began to support Robert Mugabe, uh, Robert Mugabe in his decision and said, we got to change the argument. So they changed the argument to the land, and it came out of nowhere because they had an agreement with the, uh, uh, the, the, the Land Act, 
where they had agreed that we'll buy it back at a certain price, and all of a sudden they were saying, no, we won't take the land back. That was a smokescreen to change the argument to say, hey, it forced them to have to take the land back and then have a reason to want to put sanctions on them. And if Zimbabwe didn't understand it, they just knew we're going to take our land back and we're not going with the homosexuality. They didn't really understand that it was all about the homophile movement. My point being, if they understood their narrative, they won both wars. And so they would literally be able to stand and say, since 1990s, they're the only African nation that has successfully won economic and sexual warfare against the United States, Britain, Germany, and the West. No African nation has fought that long and successfully won it. But because they don't know that that's what they did, they're not able to tell that. So what the whites are doing is saying, let's change it. Let's make a black group, just a youth group, seem hip. They're going to seem like they're going to take the land back. They're going to seem like they're going to do all of this stuff. But this group is going to be 100% homophile. And then we'll be able to sell to the rest of the African continent. See, if you want to take your land back, look at this revolutionary group. They work with the gays. It's all a play to make homophilia acceptable. But notice, Malima and the EFF, they're talking about taking land, but they ain't took no land. It's good talk, though. It's good talk. The only thing that they've done, though, they have pushed the homophile agenda. They haven't taken no land. (laughs) Well, it sounds like what you're saying. It sounds like homosexuality is the new religion. Yes, yes. The same way they tried to, uh, the same way they came in with tactics to push religion before the onslaught came on called the Ma'afa. Now they, they're using the same tactic to go in and, and, and spread this religion ideology of homosexuality around the continent. Right. Because, see, and that's and what you just said is so poignant, brother. I think it was excellently stated, excellently stated, because when they gave the Bible, uh, Jomo Kenyatta said, they came, we had the land, they had the Bible. We went down to pray, we looked up, we had the Bible, they had the land. But this is a deep thing. Once they spiritually indoctrinate you, you can work that out of your mind. And you can return and fight back. Queen Nzinga was a Christian until she realized that, you know, it wasn't about worshiping no God, it was about worshiping white. And she dropped her name and. It went to Justin Zinger because she didn't want to have Europeanism in her. She fought battle against them. That's one thing. But the road to recovery, once you get into homophilia, once you once you a dude that likes dudes, the likelihood of you ever recovering and actually fighting war against the white is not likely. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to fight for them because you're going to be raping the little boys, which is what uh, was happening in South Africa. I talked to members of the PAC. I mean, I'm talking to them. I mean, it was one of the most heartbreaking things I've heard. The PAC, the Pan-African Congress, the military group that was uh, started by uh, Baba Mangalusa Sabukwe, the real freedom fighter, not Nelson Mandela, the integrationist. Baba Mangalusa Sabukwe was the real brother in South Africa. They had gotten to the point, according to what the people on the ground told me, that in the 1980s, literally, in order to join the PAC, you had to bring a dead body of a white boy back. You had to literally take Mm. a life. And they were going to Zimbabwe to the woods, the train, to go and overthrow the country. And what happened was Nelson Mandela was, uh, this is when he, before he got put in jail, I think it was the 70s, before he got incarcerated. Uh, well, it was after he got incarcerated, but 
during that time, he was still promoting the ANC. And there was the PAC. Well, the brothers in the PAC had started getting so revolutionary that they would they would go into businesses and just kill white folks and leave. Like, they would get bodies. And what Nelson Mandela's group would do, the ANC, they were trying to compete for the people's support, but they were integrationists, so they would burn buildings. And the PAC was like, the buildings ain't what's oppressing us. But they were like, no, we'll burn the buildings as symbolic, but we're not going to kill people. But the PAC... They were on the ground killing people. So what happened was it got to the point where it was a pressure cooker. And literally, the ANC was trying to prevent the PAC from gaining all the momentum. So this is what they did. And it's really deep, man. I didn't learn until I got on the ground. When you, when you meet the real people, this kind of thing, it, it, it turns your heart. Hmm. The, the, the PAC was training in Zimbabwe. So they, Zimbabwe gave them land where they could come and train and then go back into South Africa and wage war. And they were doing it. But remember, a lot of these people didn't have a lot of education. So what was happening was the 14-year-olds or 12-year-olds from South Africa who wanted to be free, literally these young warriors were running away from home, escaping to Zimbabwe to learn how to be soldiers. And let me tell this story because I think it's so critical. And it, it, it's, This is a real story. I was there. I was at a... Well, more, uh, a celebration for Baba Mangalisa Sabukwe, and it was a PAC uh, celebration. They were celebrating the PAC and Baba Mangalisa Sabukwe. So a brother gets up there speaking, and literally his spirit was so strong, I said, either this guy's a con artist or he's a living, irritated genie right here in South Africa. So he's speaking, and he's just riveting in his speech. And then he starts talking about the fact that it was not the ANC that killed the PAC, it was the PAC when the leadership started turning and not wanting us to be rebellious and do what Mangalisa Sabukwe told us to do, which is take all the land back for black people. But then he said something. He spoke in a different language. I don't know if it was Posa or if it was uh, uh, Zulu, but he spoke in a different language. And it wasn't until afterwards that I heard that they told me what he said. And the guy, one of the people he was talking about, was sitting at the table with me. He said, when we escaped as young boys, 13 and 14 and 12 years old, 10 years old to go into the woods of Zimbabwe to train to fight for the freedom of our country. One of the things that the uh, captains had told us was, don't you dare think that we're not going to use you to fulfill our sexual lust. Hmm. And basically, and he said, some of y'all are sitting in this room right now that was molesting us as boys. Wow. And so, yes. So when I went to different regions, I stayed in a facility in a house, a rooming house, uh, a B&B, uh, with uh, a, people, a brother that was in a PAC. So I told him the story. I said, is this true, brother? And he said, yes. I said, how did this happen? He said, because the white government infiltrated our ranks. I said, how were they able to do that? He said, they sent homosexuals into our ranks, but we didn't know because we were children. These, they sent people that had education, military training, and so it was easy for them to infiltrate because they had these skills that we didn't have. And then they started molesting and raping us. And uh, a lot of the boys got raped and molested, and that's how it was. And so it killed the revolution. So nobody is talking. I mean, these are things I'm talking to the real. These are brothers that was in the battle fighting and killing for the freedom of the brothers and sisters. And they said, we took this thing. I didn't know this. This ain't from no book. They said that homosexual, pedophilic, homophile rape and molestation of the boys who had run away from home 
to gain freedom and have become sexual toilets and been molested has now not only destroyed the revolutionary spirit of South Africa, but his was deep. Right now, the young youth leadership core of the PAC are transvestites that dress in clothes. I got the pictures of these young women all over the internet in women's clothing and bras. Dang. I got the pictures. They've completely taken over Pan-Africanism, the homophiles. When I say completely, Pan-Africanism is homophilia in South Africa. Now, there are people who are against it, but you, you they, they don't have a forum. They can't hardly speak. And when they do, they get booed and, and, and run off forums. If you're against homophilia, I'm talking about in the Pan-African movement. I ain't talking about just in society. I'm talking about in the Pan-African movement. If you say something against homophilia, you're looked at negatively. When I was speaking in South Africa, my first time I went, I went twice. The first time I went in May, and I spoke at the, uh, I forget the name of the park in Suweta. Uh, I'm speaking at the park, and one of the members, an elder member of the PAC came. And, you know, I was talking about the homophile assault and the war against our people. And he said it in a laughing way, but it wasn't until afterwards, once I started putting all the pieces together, I realized he wasn't joking. He said, ah, this man has come here to start some trouble. And I kind of laughed it off, but I didn't realize that the, the revolutionary movement in South Africa was destroyed by the integrationists, and in particular, more specifically, the homophiles. It's not speculation. I've been there on the ground. I've talked to the people. That's what destroyed it, which is why they're using homophilia throughout the entire African continent, because they see what it does. It destroys the African revolutionary spirit. And like the brother said, the strong manhood, it disappears. And now the most militant, aggressive males, they're physically strong. They have all the money and all the power, but they rape boys. That's what they do. So they homophile. So now you have no culture left to stand on. This is what we're facing. Wow. It wasn't yeah. just something released. I, know. I thought I read something, too, where it was uh, reported that Ramaphosa was supposed to be going to this gay wedding. Yes. See, what's happening now is, and, and I, I'm going to go ahead and take some credit for it. There are people who don't like homophilia. There are people, but they don't have a voice. Mm. We are now giving them a voice because we're making so much noise. And again, I'm on the ground now. I ain't talking about it. I'm there. So, um, What's happening is it's reverberating, and now they're hearing about it. They're seeing it on the Internet. People on the ground are talking about it. People are starting to say this is not appropriate. And so they're the ones with the money and power. So now what they're doing is they're going to use their power, the President Ramaphosa, from the, 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 the political power and the entertainment power, just like he's doing in the U.S., to make it look like this is normal, acceptable behavior. And the next move, I'm going to tell you what the next move is going to be. You're going to get major figures. They're going to pick some who are called quote-unquote pan-Africans uh, and, and progressives like uh, uh, like like uh, Malema or the EFL. But they're going to be more scholastic, and they're going to get them to come out and say, this is part of the tribal history of this group. This is part of the tribal history of that group. That's the next major thing that's going to come in this war. 
Well, I mean, dang, I don't even know what to say, man. Honestly, I don't. That's uh that's a whole lot to unpack everything you just uncovered right there. <laughs> well let's uh let's move stateside, man. Let's move <laughs> back to uh back to the US because we're dealing with a lot a lot here in the US. It's a lot of confusion in the US, specifically when you talk about, you know, black leadership uh. or what looks like black leadership, but is oftentimes false black leadership or homophiles. Mm. So I'm going to say a few groups and a few names. We got a little bit of time left, but if you could just, you know, give us your quick assessment, because a lot of times you make it straight into the point, and you see things sometimes that a lot of us who may not have the understanding of the war that we're fighting are unable to see. So for those who don't already follow you or listen to this program, give us your assessment of this new ADOS movement. Mm. Okay. Make it very simple. The leader of the ADOS movement, Yvette Carnell, was on there with the other leader, Antonio Moore, and they were having a discussion about ADOS. And she was talking about the Root magazine and said they got it right for defending and promoting feminism and for supporting transgenderism. That right there tells us everything we need to know. She's promoting homophilia politically as a platform using the guise of this idea of ADOS as a front cover. It's, it's, it's what the homophiles are doing now. It's their move. What they're doing is they take things that mean something to us, reparations, uh, mass incarceration. Uh, they did it under uh, Mike Brown with police brutality. Mm-hmm. They take that issue that we're hot about, something that we were like, and then they use that to promote homophilia. And we don't find out until later down the line. But, of course, now people are finding out a lot quicker because we're, we're telling people ahead of the curve so that they don't have to go six months to a year participating in a homophile movement only to find out it's really about promoting homophilia later. We tell them right off the top. And that's all it is, a homophile movement. No reason for serious, mature black people to be involved in this ADOS movement whatsoever. Talk about Black Lives Matter. Sure. Black Lives Matter was uh, the pre-Adolf Adolf. So basically you had black brothers and sisters in Ferguson, Missouri. We call it these hills. Our young brother that was slain there. Who said Mike Brown was murdered. We're not going to let this end. And they were organizing. Now, they, they were just everyday brothers and sisters. They had no means. They had no resources. They had the heart and the drive and the courage to, 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 to fight. They had a real organic movement there. It was a genuine movement, and there was something that was going to happen, something major. They were really out there in the streets every day. And and, 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 and Missouri was nervous because they hadn't seen this in years. We got about thousands of people every night meeting and saying, we're not going to let this happen. So it's going to go somewhere. And so what they did is the small hat, the Zionists, took some money and said, let's take the energy there, put homophiles like D. Ray McKesson, uh, um, uh, and colors and the other uh, three lesbians that started the Black Lives Matter. Let's take them out there, take over the movement, and use that energy in the interest of us doing what we're doing. And that's exactly what they did. It was a homophile movement. They went out there, took the energy, and then started promoting homophilia, uh, bought off the little young brothers, you know, taking them little trips and stuff like that, and then kind of removed them from the people. 
and turned it into a pro-homo foul movement. And it just killed all the air and took all the air out of it. Um, and but once we exposed it and people started seeing it for what it was, then um, then that was over. Then it ended. But nevertheless, uh, that was the damage that they did. So they're just doing the same thing now with Adolf. Just put the homo files up there under the guise of this time it's not uh, police brutality. This time it's under the guise, hey, we're going to get you some money in your pocket, you know, for reparations. People want money, of course. So now with the greed of it, without paying attention to what the real open, um, modus operandi and goal and objective is, which is, again, she's an open homophile. I mean, it's obvious. You know, she, 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 she's promoted it in the radio, so it's talking about Adolf, which people don't see what's happening. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, Brother Kamathi, since you uh, mentioned this uh, brother, uh, Darren Seals, King Seals, have you gotten any kind of clues from anybody as to uh, who may have assassinated his brother? Uh, you know, I, and I, I've never said it before publicly, but I'll say it here. Um, okay. It, and I want to be clear. The police wanted him dead. Black Lives Matter hated him because he was exposing them. Uh, everybody there, all the forces that are just black people hated him and wanted him dead. But um, actually being on the ground there, finding out what happened, it actually, it didn't come from them. They, they made sure once it happened that they didn't let his name get big and momentum carry to keep the movement going. But it really wasn't what most people would think, what I thought it was. That's the reason I went there. You know, one of the reasons I thought it was Black Lives Matter, but it didn't actually work that way. It was more stuff from the ground. Okay, because, you know, I was thinking uh, in terms of political assassinations, you know, like Fred Hampton and Bunchy Carter and people like that, that, you know, this was perhaps for uh, for the younger generation, really they could have been the the real first martyr in terms of an activist that was that was in that was involved in uh, positive activities. I, I remember him, uh, you know, giving a uh, strong black fist to the side of the head of D. Ray McKesson. Um, let me ask you this: uh, in terms of, I want I want to go back to Africa um, because we always try to highlight. Uh, some positive developments there. I, I, I know that uh, you over there with uh, Dr. Mumba Saraki and uh, and some others. Can you identify for us, uh, you know, some positive forces that you know we that uh, that are walking, you know, in the footsteps of say a you know Thomas Sankara uh, on on the African continent. I mean because. You know, what we get is a pretty gloomy picture. I mean, you know, I know we the, the people who are organizing the African Liberation Day on May 25th in uh, D.C. have as uh, one, of the, one of their features or perhaps their primary feature, the focus on removing the sanctions on, uh, on Zimbabwe. And at the same time, now we see Zimbabwe... Uh, according to their finance minister, has paid 93 white farmers $64 million since 2009. A lot of people are blaming President Manangagwa for this, but it actually started under Robert Mugabe. So where where are, where are would be, you know, the positive 
forces, um, you know, on the continent, either, you know, hopefully into some in some kind of organizations because, you know, we're not going to win this battle on YouTube and Facebook. So, you know, tell us, tell, tell me something positive. Okay. Uh, I'll say a couple of things. One, I, I would like to say, even though it wasn't government sponsored, they wanted to kill him. So I still see uh, King D. Seals, uh, uh, Brother Darren Seals, as, like you said, the martyr of that time. I, I still see him that same way. Um, so I agree with you on that. And this is what I would say. And I, actually, Brother Almost is the one that first hit me to this. If I was to say anything about the African continent right now, I would say one name. His Excellency Magafuli of Tanzania. I think the most uh, breath, uh, breath of fresh air, promising thing existing in the African world community that I've seen are two things: one, straight black pride movement, and two, and I'm not saying in that order. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think probably the biggest, if I had to pick one thing that looked like a promising thing for African people, it would be His Excellency Magafuli in Tanzania. He's firm against this. He's against corruption. When the big uh, hurricane or whatever floods hit uh, uh, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and one more country, he sent not only sent supplies, but he sent military to help deliver the supplies. This brother and that government, they have rules against uh, debauchery and negative behavior. He's trying to put in place something that's a model for African people. In my opinion, we need, as an African world community, to, just like we did with Brother Garvey, and it's not even for him, it's not to help him, it's for all of us. We need to accept him as a monarch, meaning even if we're in America, he's the leader. And then we need to say, what can we do to help make Tanzania a, a, a superpower of a state? How do we invest in Tanzania? And how do we give him power by giving him our allegiance? And then internationally start letting him have the power to say what should be done and then begin to do it. We, we need, that's one thing about black people, we're very good once we get in rhythm. And that's why they kind of give us these to the European model of democratic politics. You got to have two sides fighting each other. That's not really what we do. We're better when we get one leader that we all agree to, and then we just move forward and we, we can move kind of fast because we're, we're good in unison. And I think that we have what we need. What we need to do now is focus and figure out on a practical and tangible basis, how do we take Baba Magafuli and Tanzania and use it to leverage unification, power, and uh, economic progress for African people. I think that's where our promise is. Okay, very good. So if you could rank, so it sounds like what you're saying is if you could rank one country as a strong model against homosexuality, it would be Tanzania. And, of course, uh, we talked about Zimbabwe. And the countries that are the worst would be South Africa. Uh, the countries that are the worst would be, okay, so I said like this. The best recent historical advance, uh, example of a nation that 
adequately fought against this imperative would be Zimbabwe. Like you said, right now, the best nation that's fighting against it, in my opinion, uh, this provide leading the way is Baba Magafuli in Tanzania. The worst two countries, I would say, and it's pockets that are bad everywhere. There's homosexuality in northern Nigeria among the Muslims that is horrible and rampant in certain regions. It's all throughout the continent. But if I had to say the two worst places, as a nation, South Africa is horrendous. And the French-speaking part of Cameroon is like something out of like a movie or something. It's horrible. You pretty much, according to everyone I have talked to from Cameroon, and I've talked to, once I found out, I've gone and talked to many people. You can't get a job in the government without going to a homosexual ritual. They actually have created a kind of ritualistic kind of um, uh, a process of culturally indoctrinating people into molestation. It is very rampant in homosexuality amongst the men in the French-speaking part of Cameroon and molestation. It's it's the norm. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, you would think that that these neo-colonial leaders like Paul Baye of Cameroon, I mean, it's to stay in power, you know, for them and, you know, whoever, whoever they've designated to follow them, they would want an emasculated, you know, uh, society. I mean, they would want people that, uh, you know, that are not trying to, to fight back, uh, to liberate and empower African people. So, you know, that, I mean, that, that, that part, that, that, that part definitely makes sense, uh, makes sense to me in terms of, in terms of maintaining, uh, you know, the last, uh, breath of this, um, imperialism that, um, that you know they they their, their populations are shrinking all over the world, so they have to have proxies, uh, cronies or whatever like Obama and you know Paul Baye and Mandela and et cetera et cetera. So it it makes sense that they would want an emasculated you know society. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and 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 so if you talk about that too, I'll tell you another guy. Got to be honest with everybody. The, the president of Ghana is a very, very problematic individual for me. Yep. I he agree. looks too. He, yeah. I said it again? No, I said I agree. He, I heard him in an interview. He, he didn't use his exact words, but I know how to read this. I've been doing this over 20 years. I know exactly what he was saying. What he was saying is hey, Ghana, we're not going to push homosexuality yet because I haven't gotten the people ready yet for it, but just be patient. That's what he's basically telling the Europeans. The people flipped and went off on him, so he went back there. Those weren't the words he used, but that was essentially what he was saying. So he said, no, no, I didn't mean it the way it sounded or whatever, you know. So he, he apologized, but they also had a, a situation where they were basically turning over the country to the U.S. And it was horrible. Uh, Joy News came out and did uh, something on it, so once the people had gone and found out what was happening, they got outraged, but... Yeah, I think, I think he, took like very, 20, very, he took like twenty million dollars to allow the uh, military, the U.S. military, to come in and do a Africom to set up a base. He was going to, but I think that the people got so angry, I think they shut it down. But even if they didn't do it, we know what they're in the process of doing. So it's it's very, very, very bad. I think he's the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time. Hmm. Well, we run out of time, Jeannie. 
but um, you know, just listening to this program, it really sounds like you know, once again, you know, we we have somebody who is giving us the tools that we need. That's not even a, I mean, you were ahead of the curve years ago, but now a lot of the stuff that you've been teaching over the years is coming true right before the eyes of many of us, and some of us still are in denial on this situation. You know, we always look back at the atrocities that happened to African people and we try to teach about them years later after the fact, whereas like you stated, I mean, this is the, the, the on the pulse of, I mean, every time you turn on the TV, the radio, you know, pick up a newspaper, go on the internet, you can't open your eyes and walk around the United States without seeing homosexuality every day. So, I mean, we don't need to wait 20 years, 10 years from now when, when our community, our people have been destroyed by this and look, look back at it like the crack epidemic or, or look back at it like mass incarceration or all of the things that happened to us and then try to talk and then everybody else feel comfortable talking about it after we've already been destroyed by it. So I commend you for the work that you're putting in and uh, tell our listeners how they can uh, stay in contact with you and your movement. Sure. So uh, if you're on Facebook, Irritated Genie of Southeast. Again, that's Irritated Genie of Southeast, S-O-U-F-E-E-S-E. Like and follow the page. And then whenever we put out uh, things, you know, we, we do every Monday, 7 to 10, we do a radio program, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we, we do a live feed so you'll see things as well on Facebook. You can listen there or listen to our blog from 7 to 10 p.m. Um, if you let me put it back up on my YouTube page, Irritated Genie Speaks on YouTube. Again, that's Irritated Genie Speaks. That's where we put it up. Our, our radio programs and different videos of us around the world, the work that we're doing. Then if you want some real, real detailed, in-depth information to break down what we're facing for African survival in the 21st century and beyond on multiple levels, economic, the sexual warfare, uh, entertainment, then you go to waronthehorizon.com. Again, that's waronthehorizon.com. Mm-hmm. You go to the website, you go into the store, we have DVDs. You can either get them physically sent to you in the mail, or you can get them within 24 hours. In the mail, it takes about seven days to get to you. But you get it in 24 hours, and you do the electronic copy. You can order it, we email it to you, to your phone, then you download it to your computer, and then you have it right there for posterity. So uh, we have incredible, 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 well-produced information that people is life-changing information to help people understand what we're dealing with. Uh, so that's another way to get in touch with us. And then we also have um, our email, liberation at waronthehorizon.com. You can get on our email list and we let you know whenever we'll be in your city or in your region. Again, that's liberation at waronthehorizon.com. So and just... for last thing I'll tell you, anybody that wants to support us financially, you can support us through Cash App, dollar sign, I-O, Kimasi. Again, that's dollar sign, A-Y-O-K-I-M-A-T-H-I, dollar sign, I-O, Kimasi. Santi Sana, Brother Kimasi. Just wanted to say to the to African family to be mindful that a very significant day is approaching us, May 19th will be the 94th birthday of the Honorable Baba Omowale Malcolm X. I say. 
And, you know, I consider Malcolm to be, to have been, in 1965, Malcolm, in my opinion, was the most important African on the planet Earth. And there's a reason why these forces moved against him and why um, they were able to manipulate uh, certain people uh, within the Nation of Islam uh, to, to participate in this uh, tragedy that, uh, that continues to affect Af African people today. There's so much to be learned one of the things that uh, I think we really that we really should learn is that um, when you are under assault, you have to put forth every effort to defend yourself. We know recently that uh, Brother Earl Grant, one of Malcolm's most loyal comrades, uh, passed at the age of 89, and he was talking about how Malcolm had some offers for some for some people like Bumpy Johnson to. <laughs> to intervene on his behalf and you know Malcolm did not want to to be uh, you know have any conflicts uh, within in the African community but we have to think that if Nama had not been willing to engage in military action against the Africans who were opposed to the unification unification of ancient Kemet what what would we have to talk about if 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 he had not been willing to do that of course none of us want we don't want this to happen, but at the same time, when you have someone as valuable as Malcolm, we have to, um, you know, put forth the effort to defend him. Now, that's the one thing. The other thing is that as, as much as we admire these great leaders, we really have to move to a more uh, decentralized mass type of leadership so that it's just not one person that they can focus on. But we do honor him, and uh, I just want everybody to pour, pour libations to this brother on his uh, Earth Day. And uh, we always keep him uh, front and center. We'll get some information out on the African Liberation Media, and I'm going to try to produce a blog post on Makaru Speaks. And we have to always uplift this brother because of what he meant, the things that, uh, that he was moving our people toward. And that's why they, they had to move him out first. He was he was the linchpin. He was the absolute linchpin, and and all of these uh, uh, stooges just played right into into the game that that they were playing. So uh, we cannot allow this to happen to our people, and we have to always defend ourselves and continue to struggle for the liberation and empowerment of African people. Bibi Fodiye. Bibi Fodiye. This has been the African Liberation Media Podcast. Again, Brother Gene, we thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find this on our website, AfricaLiberationMedia.com. You can also go to our Facebook and Instagram pages, African Liberation Media. A BB for Hodi A. BB for Power or the lack of power? I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power? If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die 
educated, and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.